0: You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at harvestoakville.ca. Let's get our Bibles open to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, we'll be looking at verses 12 to 18. Let me just throw out right away what our theme is today. The theme for this passage today is obedience. Obedience. Obedience, specifically the path of obedience and the power of obedience within our lives. Why are we talking about obedience? Well, Philippians chapter 2 is an epic example of the obedience of Christ. And what happens now, immediately following the example of Christ, is Paul now gives the exhortation to the church in Philippi, and by extension to us, That we are to now walk in the obedience that was demonstrated for us in Christ and now applied to our lives. So the theme without a doubt is obedience. Now I have to admit I was tempted to title this sermon this week, Obedience School. But then I was afraid of insulting us because some of you would say, what are we, dogs? I think the only real reference to obedience school is dogs. No, we're not dogs, but we are sheep. Amen. We are sheep. I don't know which one's lower or lesser. I think, she, anyways, we'll just leave it there. So, in better judgment, I went with the path and power of obedience for our title. It's a little safer. But that's exactly what takes place. So let me just, again, unpack this context a little bit. So we just come from the example of Christ. Now, look at Philippians 2, verse 8, becoming obedient, right, to the point of death, even death on a cross, So this is what Christ did in his humiliation and then his exaltation. Now notice in our first verse for today, verse 12 of chapter 2, the first word there is, therefore. Uh, Therefore, so therefore, my beloved, as you have always noticed, obeyed. Right. So Paul, without doubt, he is taking um, the momentum from Christ's example, and therefore, he's drawing the bridge from the preceding verses to where we are now, therefore, as you have always obeyed. Now, directly relating Christ and the obedience within the church, and he says, and so now, again, so now he's exhorting the further obedience, and he's about to lay it out again uh, for the church. And actually, the verse we end in today, too, if you look at verse 18, Paul now holds the example of his own obedience which is to be imitated among the people. So it's like this. If you look here, it's like Christ, Paul, and the church. And then we go further. Christ, Paul, church, us, right? Church in Philippi, and then us. So in verse eight, or 18, he says, likewise, you also, right? So he's like, here's what I'm living out. I am imitating Christ. I'm sacrificing my life. Likewise, church, harvest oak Likewise, you also, should be glad and rejoice with me. We're going to figure it out, glad and rejoice that I'm willing to die for the faith of you and the example of Jesus Christ. But before we get too far down the road to the theme of obedience, I want to address some objections right away. You say, well, why would we do that? Because I think, I think anyways, we'll see if it's true, but some of us, as soon as we hear the word obedience, we immediately become resistant or reluctant even towards that phrase, that theme, that word. For some of us, we hear obedience and we're like, that's boring, man. Move on to something more exciting. Like, who wants to talk about obedience? For some of us, if we're honest, we're bothered by that. It's bothersome for us to hear about obedience. We might go back to when we were a child and we had a mom or dad who was always kind of yelling at us and trying to get us to obey. Why don't you obey? Why don't you obey? And it kind of made me shudder in this idea of obedience. For some of us, too, we're not just bored or bothered. We're bitter. And we're bitter because when we hear obedience, we live in a world which is centered around self. You can't tell me what to do. Don't you dare tell me what to do. I make my own decisions. I do whatever I want to do. I will build my life. I will spend the resources the way I want to. I will choose where I want to go. I will say what I want to say. I will do what I want to do. Don't even bring up obedience with me. For some of us, it leads a bad taste in our mouth obedience. But this is when our theology must line up with the Lord's. Because here is the reality of obedience. J.C. Ryle, he said this. This is so good. Obedience, now just read this carefully, okay? Because when you get it, it's powerful. Obedience is the only reality. Now, why does he say that? Anyone can say they have faith. Anyone can say they love Christ. But the proof that's found, again, in the pudding of obedience is faith, it's visible. Obedience is faith visible. If we're truly those of faith, it's seen in obedience. Obedience is faith acting. Obedience is faith manifest. You see, if we say we have faith, Jesus says, you shall prove to be my disciples by bearing much fruit. It's the fruit that proves that we are true disciples of Jesus Christ. J.C. Ryle says, it is the test of real discipleship. What is? Obedience among God's people, right? Anyone can say the right thing, but our lives prove where we're at. In case you're saying, well, that's J.C. Ryle. Can I have a more substantive quote? Yes. Next. Jesus. Jesus says, if you love me, notice, you will keep Obey my commandments. Watch this, loved ones. Ready? Make sure we get our the- all through the sermon. It's so important, okay? Watch this. It's the love of Christ that leads to obedience. It's not our obedience that earns the love of Christ. That's a huge distinction in the church today. You got that? We love Christ, therefore we obey. We don't obey, so Christ will love me more. Notice the, the, the logic of theology from Jesus Himself. You love me? Really? Well, then you will keep my commandments. See, obedience is not boring now. Obedience is not bothersome. In 1 John, what 1 John says, um, his commandments are not burdensome. No, they're not. They're life-giving. It's the best best possible way to live. It's everything Christ wants us to be. So without further delay then, I'm trying to unpack for you the reality of the integrity of our text and obedience today. Let's, let's, let's read our passage. Philippians 2, verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, there it is, so now not only as in my presence, I love this, but much more in my absence, not just when I'm around, Paul says, notice, here's what obedience looks like, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Why, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Listen, among whom you shine as lights in the world. That's beautiful. Obedience continues. Holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink, offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. Notice, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Okay, so what we're going to do right now in these verses is we're going to walk down the path of obedience. And we're asking the question, am I on the right track? Am I on the right track? Hopefully I'm convinced right now, obedience matters to the Lord, needs to matter to me. How do I know if I'm on the path of obedience? Am I on the right street? Am I in the right neighborhood? Am I even walking in the same province? right? We're going to learn that right now together as a bit of an exam upon our own souls and lives. So, number one, number one, if I'm on the path of obedience, according to this text here, I long to work out my salvation. We're going to kind of hear four key phrases today, and work out. We're going to build upon that, and we're going to see without, and throughout, and pour out. But number one, I long to work out my salvation. Verse 12 again, Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, again, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, okay? For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. These verses are loaded. They are stacked, okay? The command on the path of obedience is work out your salvation, but you have to see this for the entire message, okay? Verse 13, for... It is God who works in you, it says. So here's the famous work out, work in of Philippians 2. you got to circle that, underline that, make sure that's highlighted in some regard. You come back to it later on, you know you've been there, okay? I need us to see this massive truth in the context of the command for obedience. Work out salvation, God works in us. So again, notice the small, life-changing word in verse 13. It's the word for Here's the whole reason for us walking the path of obedience. Here's the whole secret to the Christian life contained in that small word for. For it is God who works in you. Now, why is this so important? Because the command for obedience in the Christian life can be so daunting. And discouraging. And let's just be honest. Often just depressing. Obey, obey, I'm trying, I'm trying to obey. The command for obedience by itself. If all we had was work out your salvation, you work out your salvation, well, self-effort, self-striving, my strength alone. Hey, and how often we do that, huh? We just seek to try to do the right thing in our own effort, on our own strength, and that never works out well. The command by itself. Listen, if all we have is you try harder for obedience, then it ends up what ends up in total failure and spiritual inertia, right? Because if you try to obey on your own strength, you get up one morning, you're, you're, you're resolved, and you feel disciplined, and you try to do it, and maybe one day it goes well, but the next day you gotta come go and try to do it again, and then you end up failing. And when you fail, you're like, ah, oh, I stink. And when you say, oh, I stink, and the enemy comes along and says, yeah, you do stink. And we all stink, and we're stinking at this, and you sit there and say, what's the point, man? I don't. I can't do this, I can't, I can't make this work, I can't. I fail, I give up, I'm just gonna sit by and watch TV the rest of my life and hope something good might happen in some kind of way I can't explain. So much of the Christian church does that all the time. And I don't blame you for it. If we're trying to do it on our strength, it'll never happen. And all we end up saying to ourselves and just we, we, we fail miserably because we can't do it. And like, what's the point? I give up. I give up. I give up. And if we're moving in that theology based on self, we will give up. This is why this command does not stand by itself. The command to work out your salvation comes with four. It is God who works in you. Notice this. For it is God who works in you. That's why we work out our salvation. God is the sufficient one. God is the source of living water. God is our energy. God gives us new life. God is our strength. God is our salvation. Where does our help come from? Our help comes from the Lord, maker of heavens and the earth. God is the sap to our branches. God is the wind to our sails. God is the flame to our fire. I love this. You see in verse 13, for it is God who works in you. The the word work there. In the original, in the Greek, it's, it's, it's pronounced energeo. Which, of course, we get our English word, energy. It's the source of our word for energy. How awesome is that, right? This is such important theology. Here's a fantastic parallel verse, Colossians chapter 1. Notice what ha- Here's the tension. Work out, work in. Work out, work in. Ready? Watch, watch. Paul says, for this I toil. Like, this is struggling. This is huge striving. Struggling. With all. But notice this. I'm giving my best with all his, God's, Christ's energy. See that? I'm giving my best as God works in me that he powerfully works. There it is. It's almost like it's such a fantastic parallel verse to what we're doing right now in Philippians chapter two. For this, I know, for this I toil, I struggle, I strive, I work out my salvation with all the energy of God that he works within, powerfully works within me. See, right here, here's the word for some. The Lord wants me to say this for sure, okay? Legalism, legalism, and some of us have grown up in this past, some of us are in it right now. Legalism is I work out as much as I possibly can and ignoring the grace of the reality of Christ that he is to work in me and then through me. Legalism ignores the energy of God and strives in the energy of man. That's why it's so destructive. Because you end up having this system of law that is not supported by the Bible, the New Testament, any form of grace. Just pause enough for a moment. Even if it's for one person right now, that's that's good enough for me. Just pause long enough and say, am I operating in a system of the law and flesh? Or am I operating in the system of grace and the power of God? That he works in me. The desire for fruitfulness is fantastic, but you have to understand God works in me to bear fruit through me that others may see. Again, Christ in me. That's what our passage is saying right here. Think about it. God is the author of our salvation, Acts chapter 3. God is the one who causes us to be born again, John chapter 3. God is the one who begins the process of our salvation before the foundations of the world, Ephesians chapter 1. And God is the one who finishes the process of our salvation, Philippians 1, verse 6. God is the one who does everything. Now I love, I love this in verse 13, okay? This, was, this meant a lot to me this week. Notice at the end, what? God works in me both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Pleasure. Now see what's happening there? God works in us to show his will and to see his work within us so that he gets pleasure. So this is so awesome. Even now, the pleasure of God that is at work within us, right now as this text is preached over our hearts, the Holy Spirit is working. He's moving us towards obedience as he works in us. And as we do that, God is getting pleasure in this room right now. God gets pleasure through our obedience. Don't miss how profound that is. I mean, how awesome this is. God works in us, ready, ready, to bring pleasure to himself. Think about that. The reason we abide, we bear fruit, God gets pleasure from the fruitfulness in our lives. So to put it this way, our obedience results in God's pleasure, which results in our greatest blessing. That's so important, I want you to see it on the screen, okay? Okay. Our obedience, according to Philippians 2 verse 13, equals the pleasure of God, which equals our greatest blessing. The way the world gets it backwards or our flesh gets it so wrong is our disobedience equals my pleasure, which results in my disaster. That's what the enemy tells us. I'm defiant. I pursue my own way. I love my sin. It's gonna give me pleasure for a moment and then it brings disaster upon my life. But here's the truth. Our obedience equals the pleasure of God which always, always, whenever it's the ways of Jesus Christ, it will always equal our greatest possible blessing because the ways of Jesus Christ just work. They've always have and they always will. So think about it, think about it, ready? God takes pleasure. Young men, young men, men. Women, God takes pleasure in your purity. He takes pleasure in our pursuit of purity before the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about it. When we shun the temptations of the evil of our day, God's getting pleasure from our obedience. We're not earning his favor. Out of love for him, though, our lives give God pleasure. Amazing. Think about it. in our humility God gets pleasure within our marriages husbands when you love your wife as Christ loved the church God gets pleasure from that wives as you respect your husbands and allow his Christ ordained leadership in that context God gets pleasure In our friendships, when we choose to speak well of one another and show honor and serve, God gets pleasure from that. The powerful motivation. God works in us both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Back to verse 12. So God works in us, notice, so therefore, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, okay? So work out here, okay? So God's working in us, but let's not take away the emphasis and the strength behind the verb work out, okay? There's a strong, concerted effort here and intention. You're earning nothing. This is not earning salvation, okay? There's not not one bit of that we know based on the entire text of the New Testament in the Bible, okay? But what it is doing is because God is working in me because His love for me and my love for Him. Now I seek to strive after the things of Christ because I love Him in return. There's there's a resolve here. Work out your own salvation, and notice the attitude that we're to have with fear and trembling. With fear and trembling, what is this? This is the attitude we carry with it. There's a tremendous sense of the fear of the Lord. Why? Time is short. Jesus is returning. All that matters is what we've done for the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see how this is such a strong opposition to the lazy, apathic, apathetic, complacent Christian? Right? We're tempted to sit around and just kind of do nothing and just kind of sit there but fear and trembling, fear. We're go- Salvation. But remember, remember. His power in us. I gotta keep saying that. His strength in us. His work in us. And then the fear and trembling that comes to seek the Lord. But think of the church that is largely asleep. Totally missed this verse right here. God help us, God help us, God help us, God help us. So, I want to just give you a, a, a visual for the path of obedience here, okay? I'm giving you a little bit of a preview of what's coming, okay? But here's the path of obedience, okay? And so, work out your salvation. I need you to see this, okay? Right here. God works in us is, is the umbrella over the entire text. Everything we're being asked to do to walk the path of obedience is in the power of obedience from the Lord. And we're gonna see this there, to work of my salvation and without grumbling, a whole fast around. This path is only possible here. If we seek to do this on our own, we, just, we, we, we crash into the ditch, okay? But when God is working in us, and the path of obedience is rooted in the power of obedience. And then we actually begin to see this happen through our lives. It's so, so important. Take that with you for the rest of your life. Teach someone else about it, help you remember. Number one, we understand. We understand we're to work at our salvation. Number two, path of obedience. Are we on the path of obedience? Well, then there are things that I must do without. I must work out. Now there are things I must do without. Look at verse 14 now. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Now notice here, the path of obedience, am I on it, am I on it, am I on it, does not include grumbling or disputing. That can be translated... Complaining or arguing. Let's stop there for a second. Let's just think of how much of our lives are not on the path of obedience right there, based on how much we complain and argue. Love be sure of this, okay? God is never working in us to complain or argue. You say, Robbie, how can you say never? Well, look at verse 14. Do all things without. Last time I checked, all things meant? All things, yes do all things without. So we're learning here, 100%, the path of obedience means there are things that I must do without, okay? So when I'm seeking to follow the Lord and I complain and grumble, when I argue and fight, I have just stepped off. If this is the path right here down this aisle, nice and clear and wide, and this is the path of obedience, I complain and argue and I take a detour that is not going to be good, And I'm filled with self pity and complaint and grumbling and murmuring and fighting and bitterness and division, whatever it is. And by the way, notice these two sins that are held up right here. Why these two sins? Apparently, they matter a lot to the Holy Spirit that we're aware of them. We get off the path of obedience with our sin, but then what we do here is we recognize that we're sinning, we repent of these sins. And then we return to the path that God has for us. So, some of us right now, today, we are way off the path of obedience. We are grumbling, we are complaining, we are fighting, we are uh, having conflict and strife. And so, we recognize this right now by the Holy Spirit. We need to repent. The Lord's Supper is coming today, it's a wonderful chance to do that. And by the way, always examine your heart before you receive the Lord's Supper, don't take that lightly. We repent of this, and then we return to the path that God has set for us. When Paul me- brings up the, the sins of grumbling and disputing, commentators are very quickly drawn that Paul is alluding to the great sin of the Israelites in the Old Testament. Right? I've just, in my own personal time, I just, I just finished reading Exodus 12, 13, 14, 15, the deliverance from the Red Sea, and I just I know it's coming, I know it's coming. In fact, it already came even in Exodus 15, it took one chapter. But the people go out in the wilderness and they're like, Where's the water, man? Right? And they start murmuring to Moses, and then later on, and they it gets worse and worse and worse. The people are out there, they were delivered from Pharaoh for all these years of slavery, the oppression, I mean the treatment, and what do they say? Moses, where's the meat? They literally say that. Where's the meat? We missed the meat and the cucumbers and the melons and the onions and the garlic. It's all there, man. You can read it. It's all there. In numbers, anyways. It's all there. Where's the meat, Moses? We miss Egypt. Take us back to slavery. At least we got fed well there. It's amazing. And what happens, it says, and the anger of God was greatly kindled, because the people of God have Failed to see the deliverance and the mercy and the grace and the power of their God working, and instead they have turned, they have looked within, and they begin to grumble and murmur and complain. Think of how many churches have been devastated by that sin right there. Think about it, think about it. It's about me, it's about me. How come I don't get this? I want this, I want that, I want that. I'm gonna fight this person because I think I should win, and the whole thing starts to crumble. You've moved off the path of obedience, and now we're on the path of disobedience, and God is simply not going to bless that. But then we see in verse 15 notice, so do all things without these sins, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. See, Paul here now moves from confronting their sin, and now he says, I want to exhort you in grace. The path of obedience means you are conforming to the image of Christ, blamelessness, innocence, and purity that we might see the growth of his grace upon our lives this is what he produces in us and then i love this in the second half of verse 15 what we see now is the direct correlation of obedience loved ones watch this obedience purity and now our witness for christ you see where's that look at the end of verse 15 among whom you shine as lights in the world. See that? Paul's like, stop complaining. Stop fighting with one another. Instead, pursue blamelessness. Instead, pursue innocence. Because as you pursue that, as you're on the path of obedience, your witness, the light for Christ, is shining in the dark world. See that? But when you fight with one another, when you make it about self, you hinder your witness because of the impurity in your life, and your light doesn't shine as bright as it should. Think of how many churches have been proved that truth out right there, too. And we're in danger of this every day. Think about it. Shine as lights in the messed up world. And think, think about our world right now, loved ones. We live in the midst of a society of moral insanity. Like, if you really think about what's happening in the last 10 years even, I mean, 25 years, it's it's insane the lack of logic that is being placed upon. our. Like, like, there's, there's very, very smart men and women, and you actually hear what they're saying in terms of common sense, and you're like, you got to be kidding me. The decisions, the direction, the deception. It, are you hearing yourself? Like, is this really happening? A generation ago, it's unthinkable to have the things that are happening right now. The darkness increasing, but as we know, as the darkness gets darkened, the light of Christ shines brighter. So, Paul says, Don't fight among yourselves, pursue innocence in the midst of difficulty and persecution and forms of suffering, that you might shine as lights in the world. Now, think of the uses of light. Here's one commentator, Henry Alford, pointed this out. I loved it. I wanted you to see it. Ready? Shine as lights in the world. Why? Lights are used to make things evident. You walk into a room, I can't see. Can you turn the light on for me, please? You turn the light on, all of a sudden you can see. Things become evident. Uh, Lights are used to guide. I'm on the dark. Can you get that flashlight? I need the flashlight so I can see where I'm supposed to go. That's what light does. We are shining in this world to show people where they are supposed to go. Lights are used as a warning. Think of a lighthouse. Points the way, but also says, don't come too close. It won't be very good. Lights are used to bring cheer. Think about that. Think about that. No, if you're like me right now, you have noticed the sun is coming up a little bit earlier every day. Everyone for more daylight? Amen, amen, amen. Now, why is that? Well, the light is shining. It actually makes us cheerful, right? I remember last night coming to the service, and I'm so used to showing up for this 5 o'clock service and it being dark out. And all of a sudden, I noticed the sun is shining through the windows, and I was like, Oh, that's, that's so nice. It used to bring cheer. The children of God are to shine lights to bring cheer to a world that's miserable, whether they admit it or not. And lights are used to make things safe. Think of street lights. Think of lights on cars. Just think of all the uses of light that causes things to be more safe. And, and what is their greater safety than believers of Jesus Christ shining a light for the Lord Jesus Christ that people may not die with sin and death and judgment and hell. Um, That's a light trying to make people safe. So see what's happening here? Don't spend your time with sin that ruins your purity, that ruins your witness, because Jesus says you are the light of the world. I'm sorry, Jesus, what would you say? Us? Yep. You? uh, You're the light of the world, Jesus. Yeah, but now I work in you, that you might be the light of the world, by the Spirit of God I place within you. Mind-blowing. Amazing. Okay. Path of obedience. Work out, without, thirdly, throughout. Point three, I must hold fast to the word throughout. Look at verse 16 now. Holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I will be proud that I did not run in vain. Now, there should be no surprise, on the path of obedience, Paul includes the word of life, which is the word of God. It's a no-brainer. See the correlation there? You want to shine as lights for Christ in the world? you got to hold fast to the word. you got to hold fast to the word of life. Okay? Loved ones, look here, look here, right? This book contains the message of light, which is ultimately the gospel. The word of life is the word of Christ. Now, ready? If this book stays open... We hold fast to this word, and holding fast can also mean hold forth. You hold fast to the word. I have stored up your word in my heart. I may not sin against you, right? Your word is truth. Your word is truth. I hold fast to this word that I might hold forth the word. We preach the Bible. As long as this Bible stays open on this pulpit, I like our chances. I don't like our chances for ease. I don't like our chances for um, no persecution. I don't like our chances that everyone will love us. But I do like our chances in honoring the Lord and being true light for Christ. But the moment the Bible closes and we hide it, our witness is gone. You can't have witness apart from the word of God. There is no witness apart from the word of life because this is the only message that saves people from death and shines light, right? So you close the book and you close the vision of God. Think of the churches that had begun with an open word, but then in the fear of man and the pressure of culture, the word slowly gets closed. Eventually it is placed behind or discarded altogether. And now they seek to reject the word of God. They have lost their witness for Christ. It's gone. It's impossible to have true witness for Christ apart from the word of God. So the command is to hold fast to the word, that we might hold forth the word to those we love and to this lost and dying world. No wonder it's here, hold fast to the word. And let me say this too, man. When this, when this church began, like when our core group began, I was like 28 years old. What was the Lord thinking? I have no idea. I think my wife Jill was probably 26 or something. And we're just like, oh man, like, how did that even happen? I have no idea. Grace. But you're there and you feel this incredible calling for God's word. This incredible calling to say, the Bible's awesome. You gotta know the Bible, man. It change your life because it's changed mine, it'll change yours too. The word of God and his revelation, Jesus Christ is the best ever. You gotta read the book, man. Read the book, the gospel, right? You have one message, man, Jesus. All found in here. And here we are all these years later. Lord willing, trying to do the same. But here's the thing, man. Time's coming soon where, and by the way, I'm so thankful for the generation ahead of me. I'm so thankful for the men and women, let's say of Calvary Baptist and leaders in our church, that you have gone and served the Lord so faithfully. The example that is in place to myself and my generation that has preserved and allowed the Lord to work in such a beautiful way. What's gonna happen with the next generation? under immense pressure. More pressure than I was a kid. Things are changing so fast. But young men and women, and I just pray God even right now, that he is working in the generation below, that you will be willing to understand that if you forsake this book, you have no witness. But if you hold on to the message of life in Jesus Christ, it will be hard, but it will be worth it. We need another generation to be raised up. Amen. And you have to cling to Christ. You cannot cling to yourself or to the world. It's going to be tough. Amen. But are you willing to count the cost to see what the Lord might do? I mean, I, who's even here now? God begins to have a stirring because he will always have his people, men and women, to be raised up for the Lord. And loved ones, for all of us right now, you have to see, I know the temptation to treat this book lightly. I know the temptation to become spiritually lazy. I know how difficult it is at times to find the time to open it sincerely and you read the Bible and you feel like there's not anything being said to you and there's times of dryness. I trust me, I know. I know. And yet, what's the alternative? What's the alternative this? It has to be this. I just want to encourage especially um young parents right now, I think one of the hardest stages I went through in seeking the Lord and God's word was when our kids were particularly young, especially our boys, man, those rascals. When they were like three and one, man, it just, I remember like I was so desperate to be in God's word in the midst of it, you got no sleep, you're sitting there, you're just dying to get through each day. I have so much grace if you're in that stage of life, and I know it probably gets harder as we go along and all the stuff, but just in that phase, practically though, you feel like, can I keep going, can I keep going? And I remember, i I. I'd creep down because, like, the boys were so so light. And as soon as they woke up, it was like, And you're like, ah, you know, you had to, whatever. I remember I was just creeping down. And I would get up earlier and earlier and earlier to try to find time with the Lord. I remember in our townhouse when we first moved to this area, I remember I was just like, it was like 5.50. I'm like, and I got downstairs. And I was there on the kitchen table. I'm like, yes. And the coffee beside me. And I remember I had my Bible open, got my journal out. And I just went to open my Bible. And just as I did, it was like, like that. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. And I closed it and it stopped. And then it was like, whee, whee. And you know, I'm like, God, what are you doing? Like, I'm trying so hard to meet you. And I honestly, I feel like it was a huge test of my heart at that time to say, how will I keep seeking the Lord? And reasons I don't understand him telling. hold fast, hold fast, little bits, whatever you can do. Loved ones, if we close the book, we got nothing. So no wonder the path of obedience is hold fast. And then notice when Paul says here, he says in verse 16, so that in the day of Christ I will be proud. See Paul's heart there? He's like, if you lose the word, man, then it's all for naught. Right? If you don't, if you don't continue on, then it, it's all for naught. He's like, my, my work is in vain. Hold fast throughout. And then finally, point number four, we're on the path of obedience I am called to be poured out. I'm called to be poured out now. Work out throughout, without throughout, poured out. Verse 17, even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering. Now, when Paul says that, he's alluding to a Jewish and pagan sacrificial ritual. They're different, but they were similar in the sense you took wine and you poured it out either on an offering or beside an offering, so that you poured it out. So Paul's saying, he's alluding to that kind of practice. If I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering. Now, what he's saying here is he's like, even if I die. He's talking about his martyrdom. If I die, but notice what he's dying for. Even if I die, poured out, as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your, what's the next word? Faith, right? So he's like, I am willing to die as a sacrifice of an offering if it results in your greater faith. That's remarkable. It's okay, he says, if I lose my life being a sacrifice that your faith is legitimate in Jesus Christ. In fact, then he goes on to say, right, he says... In fact, I am glad and rejoice with you all, meaning if I die and that your faith is legit. And he says, you also should be glad and rejoice if I die for your faith, but then you also pick up the lantern and shine it for Christ that you might be willing to be a sacrifice for the sake and faith of others. Remarkable heart of a shepherd here from Paul. Think about that. I'm willing to die as long as your faith is strong and intact. Hey, question for yourselves right now, right? Who are we willing to live in that way for? Is there any willingness in our lives to sacrifice ourselves to the extent of this taking place? It's powerful. It's powerful, but I, I need us to end here because this is one of those things you say, okay, pouring myself out. That's an easy thing to say. In some ways, it's an easy thing to say as you're preaching it, but it's a very, very different story to live out. A lot of us remember, God God works in, God works in, God works in. The only reason Paul can do this, God worked in him that he might work through him. It's impossible. Can't do it on yourself, by yourself. Can't do it. God works in. So what is it? How could Paul do this? How could Paul say such a thing? How could he say in Romans about the Jews, I wish I was accursed and not you? Who says that? only way he can do that is because of the gospel. It's because Jesus Christ was poured out. Jesus Christ poured himself out in his blood. Paul received that sacrifice of Christ. And now because Paul's so overwhelmed with the love of Christ, he is now motivated to take that love and love others, even if it means that he might die. God calling us to sacrifice for our friends, our family, our church, our community, our nation, some called to foreign places in this world, to give up lives to serve as missionaries here or abroad. When I survey is a beautiful, beautiful hymn. I want to end here, but I just ask you to be still for a second, okay? Um, look at the theology that's summarizing everything we just went through, okay? See from His uh, Christ. See from Christ's head, hands, and feet. Sorrow and love flow mingled down. The blood. Literally, Christ pouring himself out for us. Like, literally pouring out his blood of love for you and I for our sins. This is such a beautiful line. Like, did ever such love and sorrow meet? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God, is there any way if I can pass this cup? Or thorns compose? The thorn of crowns mocking him, but the richness of a crown he was wearing, the immeasurable riches of a sacrifice of the Son of God, that he might die and pour himself out, that you and I might live? That we might have life and forgiveness of every sin we've ever committed and ever will commit? Really? Really? Did ever such love and sorrow meet? No, never. And notice the response of the next verse. Therefore, were the whole realm of nature mine, all of creation, I could offer that as an offering or a present, that would be too small. It would be too small. He had the entire universe and hand it to Christ out of a gift of love for what he's done. It's too small because his love is so amazing. And so divine. And notice, ready, ready, ready? God works in that we might work out. Demands my soul, my life, my all. This is Paul. When I see what God has done for me, now, now, I give my everything to him because it's rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not earning his favor. His love for me compels me now to seek to live this way. Impossible on our own, God help us. But Christ in us, it's a different story. Demands my soul, my life, my all. So how fitting for us today to remember the Lord's Supper. Again, just in the stillness of this moment, the cups will be stacked, the juice stacked on top of the bread, you take two stack, take two. But think about it, the symbols of the gospel, the symbols of what Christ did for us, the symbols representing the work of God in us, that we right now are renewed in mind and repenting of sin even, that we might return to the path of obedience. See what happens here? The Lord's Supper is a way to return to the path of obedience now. We place our heart before the Lord and we say, God, you you work. Worship team can come up, servers for communion, can you go to your stations and just get ready right now And the remainder of us, let's pray together. So Father, I just pray that the path of obedience is very clearly seen right now. And I pray there's a tremendous, even joy, a joy in Christ. I pray there's such a clarity of God works in me that I might work out my salvation. God, protect us from the reverse of that. I pray that there would be such a true, intentional, I'll surrender. God, I I need you to work in me. And I just pray many, many people here today are saying the same prayer. God, I need you to work in me again and again that then you might work through me. Thank you for your forgiveness upon our lives and our sin. Thank you for the grace that is inexhaustible. Inexhaustible. And just with our heads bowed, I just want to encourage you, if you are not saved in Jesus Christ today, please don't take communion. The Bible warns us against that. It's a sacred, sacred thing. But would you seriously consider right now giving your life to Jesus? Jesus, I am a sinner. I have sinned against a holy God. And I need my sins washed clean. I believe in you, Jesus. I ask for eternal life. I name you as Lord and Savior. Yes, Jesus, make me new. Work in me. Maybe for the first time ever that you then can begin to see what life is truly about. Oh Lord, may this be a special time, a reverent time, a beautiful time. In Jesus' name.